You're invited to turn with me in your Bibles to this morning's text, 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 16. If you're using a pew Bible, the text is found on page 1439, beginning with verse 13. Therefore, gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. For twelve verses, no command, no exhortation, no admonition. And then verse 13, the first command, we saw it last week. Hope fully in grace. Today, the second commandment, be holy. For I am holy. And I wish I had about ten minutes to just take a parenthesis and talk about the centrality of God in the Christian life. As the source of our hope and as the standard of our holiness. But instead of doing that, I'm going to jump over all of that and go straight to this issue of holiness. First, hope. Second, be holy. Be hopers, be holy. Be hopers first, be holy second. If you skip the first command, you will legalize the second one. First hope, then be holy. Hope in grace, be holy like he is holy. Now, what does that mean? How do you be holy as he is holy? What is holiness or what is God's holiness? Many of you who've been around the church for a while or grew up in the church know that that holy idea in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is quoted here, is a separateness. So the idea is if something is holy to the Lord, it is separated from what is defective and and evil and dedicated to God. So Sabbath can be holy. It is separated from the other six days and it is separated unto God for his glory and his uh, honor. Or a priest could be holy because the priests were set aside from the others. They didn't have their own land. They were set aside and unto God. Or a thing could be holy. Bread could be holy. A lamb could be holy if it was taken from the flock and dedicated to God. So the idea of separating out from what is ordinary and especially what is defective or immoral, and then devoted to God is the idea of holiness. But now, if you try to apply that definition to God, you run into something interesting. It's not wrong to say God is holy in that he is separate from all that is defective and impure and deficient and immoral. That's true. That's the meaning. But when you Bring in the positive side of that definition. What, what do you say? 
He is separated from evil and unto. And then there's nothing else out there. He's the end, the beginning, the end, the totality. If all that is is ordinary, if all that is outside God, he is separate from in his holiness as other. What's he separated for and unto? And there's the mystery of of godness, of holiness. He's separated unto himself. Not to a higher value. He is the highest value. And so the holiness of God is almost synonymous with the godness of God, the uniqueness of God. He is one of a kind. He is set apart unto being God. There's no other creator. There's no other sustainer. There's no other final measure of good and evil. Here's the way Hannah put it in First Samuel when she sang, There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides thee. You see the idea? No other holy thing. No one at all besides thee. You're the end. If you're going to keep separating off unto holiness, you are the stopping point. There is no rock like our God. So he's in a class by himself. He's unequaled, unrivaled, totally underived, absolute. The Alpha, the Omega, not becoming, always being, infinitely perfect, self-sufficient, no beginning, no end, no improvement. His holiness, I would put it in this nutshell, his holiness is the supremacy of his infinite perfection and value in the universe and above and beyond and outside the universe. The supremacy of his infinite perfection and value over all things. Now, I want to make sure that we don't... Um, Confuse the glory of God and the holiness of God and the righteousness of God. We're, we're treading on the highest reaches of our mind's possibilities here, but the Bible uses these terms and God has ordained that we speak in these terms and I think He ordains that we speak with meaning, not gobbledygook. There are some people that are very gun shy of definition. Well, I'm gun shy of those people because they can make words mean whatever they want and they can do all kinds of double and triple talk and you never can pin them down and they can get you to believe anything. You don't have to claim perfection for your thought or absolute comprehensiveness for your thought in order to claim measured truth for your thought seen through a glass darkly. So let me try. A definition for those three realities, holiness of God, the glory of God, the righteousness of God, that you can then test as you read scripture to see whether or not I'm I'm right. Now, I've just done my best with holiness. I think holiness is the root core reality of God, God's godness, God's perfection, God's value. The glory of God is the radiance of that value and that perfection. I've often defined it as 
the beauty, the effulgent beauty of God's manifold perfections, or you could say holiness. So the analogy would be if the light, I'll just use these, they're so paltry, but I was going to use the sun, but there they are shining in my face. These lights up there, if you say the light is the glory, the, the heated element in that light is holiness. So if the sun and its fire and its heat is holiness, the light that arrives on planet Earth and just fills the Earth, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole Earth is filled with his what? Glory. Now, that's that's the connection. There's holiness in God. But what fills the Earth, the manifestation of that holiness is glory. Now, the third is righteousness. What is the righteousness of God? The righteousness of God is his faithfulness or allegiance or commitment always to uphold the value of his holiness and manifest the beauty of his glory. You say it again. His, his righteousness is to do right by his worth. Do right by his worth. Well, what is to do right by infinite worth? Uphold it. Don't let it be trampled on. Uphold it. Manifest it. Show it. That's why in the death of Christ it says the righteousness of God was demonstrated. Why? Because according to verse 23 of Romans 3, we had all trampled it. We had fallen short of his glory. And his righteousness says no to sin and to the trampling of his glory. And therefore, because he's a God of love as well as righteousness, his righteousness finds a way to vindicate the worth of his holiness, the beauty of his glory, while not destroying sinners who have brought it into calumny. Peter fastens on holiness. He could have used righteousness. He could have used glory. All of those are used in the New Testament to tell us how to live righteously for his glory. But here, the issue is holiness. And my question this morning briefly is, how does this holiness that we've just described, this infinite supremacy of perfection and value in God, his godness, how does it make its way into my life and behavior, which is what verse 15 says it's supposed to do, be holy in all your behavior? Verses 14 and 15, I think, give the clue here. They're a contrast, as you can see. Verse 14 says what holiness is not. And verse 15 says be what it is. Let's read those. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts or desires which were yours in ignorance. Now, that's a non-holy situation. Ignorance, former desires, Conformed behavior to those evil desires. That's a non-holy. But like the holy one who called you, be holy. Now, if we take the, the downside of verse 14 and the upside of verse 15 and we bring them together, you can, you can see how holiness comes from God into men. Let me try to take you with five brief steps. Number one, first God calls us. Verse 15, like the one who called you. Now, that calling, the calling of God is the same as verse three 
the begetting of God. When God called you out of darkness into light, it was not a suggestion. It was an omnipotent come forth like to Lazarus in the grave. And that's new birth. When the powerful, creative call of God lands on a human heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, it creates a willingness to come called faith. And that's the new birth. Paul says, Romans 8, those whom God foreknew, he predestined. Those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. God justified everybody that he called. Therefore, the call is not a suggestion, leaving a person in unbelief. No unbeliever is justified. The call is the power that brings a person out of darkness into light, creates in them a new heart, instills in them faith, and thus leads them to justification. So the first encounter with holiness is of a powerful call from God, a holy God, awakening in us a desire for him. Number two, we become thereby the children of God. Verse 14 again, as obedient children. If you collapse down the two verses, it would go like this. As obedient children, be holy as the one who called you. Now follow that. As children, be holy as the one who called you. And there you can see that calling and begetting are the same. This childhood status is the result of this call. As obedient children, be holy as the one who called you to be children or made you children or begat you as children. So verse 3 and 14 are talking about the same reality. So our second step on the way to holiness, God's holiness, is to realize that the Holy Spirit, this is the way Paul describes it in Romans 8, 16, Everyone who is led by the Spirit is the child of God. The child of God has the Holy Spirit within by virtue of God's call on our life. And we now are children of holiness, children of obedience. Number three, third step. When God calls you and you become a child of God, a profound change happens in your ignorance. Namely, it stops. Let's read verse 14 again. Do not be conformed to your former lusts or desires, which were yours, were yours in ignorance. Former lusts, former ignorance. So the three steps so far are God calls out of darkness into light. He creates a child in his family His Holy Spirit bears witness that we are the children of God and something marvelous happens in our mind. Namely, we stop being deceived by nickels. You ever hold out a nickel and a dime to a little child and say, which one would you like? I want the big one. That's what changes when you're born again. How about some sex on the weekend? Your wife's a drag, man. Look, here's a nickel. And it's big. She's beautiful. When you're born again, your eyes open. 
You see the nickel. You say, man, that's a nickel. No way. I've got a dime. I got a quarter. I got a 50 cent piece. I got a dollar. I got a hundred dollar bill at home. She is faithful. And I love her. Out of my sight, nickel broker. The ignorance factor that enslaves people to all the desires of the world is broken. The eyes are opened. Knowledge of truth and truth about what mainly? The holiness of God or better, the value, the perfection of God. We were blind to the holiness of God before God called us, before he put his spirit within us. But when he comes and makes us children, then this step is Ignorance flees, light comes in, the glory of God and the holiness of God become beautiful and they wean us away from all of those pleasures which according to chapter 2 verse 11 wage war against our soul. They are suicidal pleasures. The nickel kills. And so this step now is ignorance goes and light and knowledge come. Fourth, with knowledge and truth come New desires. Verse 14. Do not be conformed to the former desires. You see that? The former lusts which were in ignorance. Those ignorance, when the mind is not computing the value of a nickel, the will computes take the nickel. When the mind computes the dime is better, the will engages with the mind and takes the dime. Your desires are always moving one step behind your assessing faculty. The assessing faculty says valuable, not valuable, good, not good, desirable, not desirable. And your will falls right behind saying, if it's desirable, I'll have it. The key issue is get that mind thinking God's thoughts about his holiness and about the desires that wage war against our soul. Finally, number five. These new desires dethrone the old ones and bring us into conformity in our obedience to God's holiness. Verse 14, as obedient, obedient children do not be conformed to the former desires. There are desires and there's a conformity to desires. These desires are former. They're not you anymore. They may raise their ugly head again and again. And you look at them and say, that's not me. You are a former desire. I am a now a child of God and a child of obedience. And with that reality, you fight down those former desires and their constant deceiving temptation. The nickel's better. The nickel's better. The nickel's better. And you know it's not better. And you lay hold on the holiness, the $10 million bill of God, and you wave it in the nickel's face and say, no way will I be deceived again by this desire, which is former and not me. Anymore. So let me sum the five up and we're done. God calls us a holy God calls us out of darkness. He makes us his children, putting his Holy Spirit within us. He overcomes our ignorance and gives us new knowledge about what is truly valuable, namely the holiness of God. This desire or this knowledge produces new desires, a whole field of new desires And finally, we conform to those new desires and walk in holiness in all our behavior. Let's pray. Lord, we want so much to be holy.
as you are holy. And so I ask you to take these few words about this awesome topic. Take these words, Lord, and use them as a double-edged sword to cut away all that is not holy and open us to the truth of your holiness and the beauty of your holiness. And so create a whole new field of desires. And may we conform to those holy desires in all our behavior. In Jesus' name, amen.